Welcome to Significance Breed Success. Today I have a rock star here who's making a lot of impact in uh, the world. Um, what I love about Skip is, is not just the for-profit side, but he's also heavily involved with the non-profit side. Um, Skip, thank you for coming on today. Appreciate you. I know you're from Michigan. Uh, how's the weather up there? You guys doing good up there? A little cold? No, it's beautiful. Warm? Well, we have cool evenings. You know, it's 40s, 50s at night, uh, which is kind of nice. Got the windows open, and then it's 70s uh, and 80s in the daytime. That's like California was when I when I was living there. It's just nice. You can cool down the house. It's beautiful. Yeah. So let me ask you: you're 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 involved in the investment world. You're also making a lot of impact uh, within the local communities. Tell me, why did you really get involved with nonprofit? Well, you got to go back to our organization, Ann Arbor Spark, and we uh, spend more than half of our time, which is unusual for an EDO, on startups. Uh, we focus on entrepreneurs and uh, early stage companies, and we help them, you know, get their products. You know, we're we're big inventors in Michigan. We're not. We haven't been all that great in developing com companies, new companies, in the past couple of decades. Um, and so we were about trying to get entrepreneurs to understand how to actually create a business with the products you were developing and making, et cetera. Um, but then they were struggling finding capital. And the more we researched, you know, how do we address this issue, uh, found one, it's not unique. It's a national issue, national challenge. Uh, and that most startup companies, even in the tech space, don't get venture capital. They're not, they don't fit the venture capital model. Um, they're never going to get venture capital. One, they don't need venture capital, most. And, but where do they need get the capital from? Because they're, they're not bankable. So it's from angels, from angel investors. And one of the weak spots, in fact, after probably, you know, 10, 15 years of work uh, at the state level uh, and across our state, uh, we discovered that the one big missing link was lack of angel capital. And so we decided, and this was typical of our organization, hey, there's a problem. Nobody else seems to be addressing it, so we will. And uh, we decided to try and start uh, convincing high net worth households uh, what angel investing was all about, that it's a legitimate asset class to consider putting in your overall portfolio of investments and start educating on how to do it. And that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of risk for sure, uh, but there's a lot of upside potential too if you're smart about it. And so that's what caused us to actually create our own angel group because there weren't many at the time in the state of Michigan. We created our own. We uh, now have the largest angel group in the state. Uh, with an economic development organization actually as the uh, as the backbone uh, infrastructure for the group. So I love when local cities get involved with economic development. Not all cities do it really well, but I've seen a couple of them do it. There, there's one up in Deerfield, uh, South Florida here, and the director is a rock star. He's been in the business world. He understands the business world. And now he's working with the different cities um, to, or the city to bring in local, not local businesses, but businesses to increase local uh, impact and, and, and infrastructure. What's your, 
what's your real thought about that in the future? Because I find that some, some cities have a lot of taxes, they have a lot of challenges, and they're not really looking to bring in, uh, you know, other companies. And then I look at like Austin and Dallas and uh, some parts of Arizona, uh, Florida, different, different states that are really um, adding a lot of value for these, these companies and they want to move there and then they recruit them also. We're, we, we do have a part of our organization uh, is traditional business development, is traditional economic development, which is, uh, but, but I think it's overrated. And we learned that chasing whales is, um, you know, it's, it's not efficient. And trying to get companies and recruit companies to come to your area is uh, a long-term process, takes time. Um, you're competing with cities, counties, and states all throughout the country and the world. And so it's tough. And it doesn't mean we don't do it, but that's not the highest priority. Highest priority has to be uh, helping the companies that currently exist in your community, that are growing your GDP, helping and making sure they are successful and helping them in their own growth strategies as they need more space, as they need more talent, uh, as they may need more capital, uh, helping them find it and uh, so that they can grow here and grow successfully here. While at the same time, making sure that companies all around the rest of the world are aware that we exist, our assets that we have that they may find attractive and we welcome them coming um, but be reasonable about it, both in terms of energy and, and capital you're going to invest uh, to do that. And we decided also that though a major part of our resources, though, need to be in the startup world, not necessarily bringing uh, companies into the community as important as it is taking what we have and building it up. and creating gazelles, creating companies that can grow rapidly uh, that are right here in our own backyard. Let's, let's facilitate that activity. Let's facilitate and educate them on how to scale. And um, they're already here. So uh, let's take advantage of that because those are the job creators. So I agree with you on the job creators. I think that small companies, definitely small companies that are being built today are, I think there's going to be massive big companies and then there's going to be smaller companies in the future. And those smaller companies that are grassroots that are in communities, um, like you see what's going on over the last couple of weeks with uh, like the Black Lives Matter and sort of thing. I work in challenge neighborhoods. So I work with these kids before they have challenges in life. And we're graduating 60 high schoolers this year. Um, so we know what it takes to be able to get them ready for life. Um, and some of them are starting to do their own thing. Some of them are doing some dance lessons or some of them are getting full-time jobs. And it's amazing to see them work for local um, smaller companies or help build local companies. Where do you see the future with robotics and uh, machine learning and VR and AR and all these new techs coming out? Where do you see the future of smaller companies? I think it's going to be a lot easier for them to start up, definitely because we have a laptop now. You can start a company from your living room. So what, what's your thought on that? 
Well, we've certainly learned in the past three months uh, that we can, in fact, uh, commerce does continue and meetings still happen and business still gets done, uh, even though we're now doing it all online. And I'm meeting you via Zoom, not at a coffee shop. Um, so things are still happening. I think uh, relative to your question about the technology, um, you know, a lot of the big companies uh, actually are looking at startups for uh, their innovation and, uh, you know, acquiring it. It's a whole lot easier for some of these big companies just to buy smaller companies um, and their technology and incorporating them as opposed to trying to do it internally because of just there's just some practical things and it's not, it's not a knock on the big companies. It's just reality. It's uh, how we all function. So I think there's opportunity there uh, for sure. And I think to your point, uh, more and more people, and we found this back actually, uh, you know, it got a huge jump start back in the great recession in 08, 09, when a lot of people were starting up companies out of necessity. They didn't have a job. So, well, wait a minute. I have this idea. I have this, uh, product I've been working on. I've been working on a robot in my garage for a while. Maybe, maybe there's a business opportunity here. And uh, I think more and more people are, have gotten the entrepreneurial bug and are pursuing that activity. So I look at bigger companies. Uh, some of my friends work for massive companies. Uh, one, of my, one of my mentors, Mark Leader, runs Sun Capital. He buys distressed companies and turns them around and raises a couple billion dollars per round. And it's interesting to look at um, men like that, that, that look at, okay, if I maybe see a smaller company that adds value to my company or that's in the same space, because I know he buys up specifically, he buys up companies within the same, within the same market uh, or the same industry at some point that help each other grow. Um, if a bigger company buys a smaller company, do you think it's, they don't have to put funding into the R&D, the growth, the marketing, the branding, because there's already a package built right there. Do, do you think that helps bigger companies uh, justify, hey, we're willing to spend, you know, um, uh, you know, 20 million, 50 million on this smaller company or for 5 million, um, but we don't have to spend potentially, you know, a million or we don't have to spend maybe 50 million to buy a $5 million company. So they can really get what they want versus putting the money into it themselves. Well, you raised two points. Let me go back to the first one. You mentioned your friend who buys distressed companies. I think that's one of the challenges entrepreneurs have, particularly with uh, growing their businesses, is they don't know how. And whereas your friend, and that's why they don't succeed, and they haven't been successful in recruiting that top executive that knows how to grow businesses, and that's where your, fun, your friend jumps in and says, well, wait a minute. It's not that the product doesn't work, it's just you don't know how to scale it. And so I'll come in here and help you scale it. Uh, and we need folks like that, uh, for sure. I think it's part two of your question relative to what the big company does uh, quite often is they're putting in the uh, marketing and sales push behind the technology. There may be, uh, there may still need to be some product development or enhancements. They need to be able to integrate the technology into their technology somehow. Um, and that's going to cost a little bit. Uh, but 
the major effort is, is scaling it. And that's why they acquired the business. They said, okay, here's a business that may only be doing five, 10, $20 million a year. But you know, we put our muscle behind it. Uh, we put, you know, uh, our customer base, we put our skill set of marketing and sales behind it, and we make some uh, product improvements and integrate it with our others, and we can turn this into a hundred million, five hundred million, a billion dollar business, and that's why they acquire them. Uh, and it makes sense. And and companies, bigger companies, generally are successful doing that, but not always. I mean, even the big company can mess it up once in a while. So I find one of the big biggest um, what you're saying about the big companies they 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 put it into their maybe distribution platform. I find that big companies have two things. Number one, they have a lot of relationships, um, and they have distribution. And so, uh, for instance, one of my buddies was selling a product to 7-Eleven, and I think they have about 30,000 7-Elevens in the world. Don't don't quote me on that, but it's something crazy like that. I think it's like half in the U.S. and they're huge in Japan and and um, he was putting one product in, but to get the product in, you have to self-deliver it to every 7-Eleven until it gets to a thousand 7-Elevens, and then they'll pick it up, put it in their warehouse, and do all the work for you. So it's okay. interesting on what they can really bring to the table to create those quick results um, from you know a medium-sized you know product or, or brand to just you know, crank it up and, you know, like Macy's and, uh, you know, Nordstrom's and all these brands now that are having challenges, they're still going online. I've been buying stuff on Macy's forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's your thought on um, really that distribution going from like brick and mortar to now where a lot of it's going is online based? It sure is. In fact, we're invested in a company in Ann Arbor, uh, a startup where, and she's focused on the furniture industry right now but it'll scale to other industries uh, very shortly, I'm sure. Uh, but it's where, now that you're going online, you, you find industries like the furniture industry, oddly enough, that has not done well online. They've been focused on brick and mortar and talk about, now they're forced to make this major shift. And uh, she's helping them make the shift, but more importantly is uh, relative to her particular software, integrates into the website and actually helps the uh, the company, the, the store, the, the retailer, increase sales because now when I'm going online to buy the couch uh, or whatever it is, her software actually helps that retailer and the consumer better understand the makeup of the room and what else they may need to buy or would like to buy in addition to the couch to go with it as an accent. And she has found that uh, for the past year now, anybody using her software, these stores, uh, retailers, whether it's in their brick and mortar store or online, uh, increasing the actual sale by 30% by the, because the consumer is buying an additional product they necessarily didn't necessarily plan on buying at the time. Um, so there are those kinds of uh, add-on services that a lot of, uh, a lot of software companies are, are uh, tacking on and a lot of industries out there that are still struggling and making that transition from brick and mortar to online because it's a necessity. They've got to do it. 
Yeah, I agree. And it's going to be interesting. It's interesting to see how the cell phone in the U.S., how much it's being used today versus five or 10 years ago. And when I was in Asia, how much it's used over there for everything. Yeah. Um, I think, I think a lot of things are going to shift. What do you, what do you, when you look at companies, when you, um, when you're nonprofit or, or, you know, different groups that you're a part of, look at investing in whether startups or, you know, angel funding, you know, is foundationally what you guys are, are doing. What do you look for in the company? We're looking for scalability. We're looking for the, is their product or service actually serving or, or uh, eliminating a pain, a true pain. So identify uh, an industry and a problem within that industry that is a true pain point. And is this company actually uh, eliminating that pain? Uh, because then their product becomes a must have, not a nice to have. Uh, so you really want to know that. And is it truly a national market or a regional market? Is it a global market? So you want to know that they've got the ability to scale because unless they have those two things, the big company that's eventually going to want to acquire them isn't going to be interested. Um, and then, of course, you know, you've heard forever, uh, it's the team. And just in real estate, it's location. Well, in investing, it's the team. The, tr the team has a lot to do with it. But in the early stages, uh, the team is getting the product up and going. Uh, and you can make adjustments in the team as the company grows and matures and maybe the skill sets of the entrepreneur uh, aren't there and you bring in other people with the skill sets needed to scale. Uh, so you can always make adjustments in the team, not necessarily eliminating, but augmenting uh, the team. And so that's uh, also though very, you know, is the entrepreneur open-minded? Is the entrepreneur willing to listen and take advice? And um, uh, are they willing to bring in other ideas and understand the importance of bringing in other skill sets as they uh, begin to grow. So those are the two things primarily that uh, we look at. So as a pro fighter, I was a pro fighter in my last career and, and wrestler. The one yeah. thing that I found is a little bit different than most people find in life is if I don't keep my hands up, I get hit. If I don't listen to my coaches, I get kicked, punched, you know, something broken, choked out, knocked out, dead potentially. Um, and in life, People don't learn how to learn with, with a, with a team <clears throat> that's part of a new company. Uh, you know, the, the, the president of the company, the founder, you know, how, what percent of the time um, do you think that they know how to learn how to learn? And cause you're saying that if they don't have the skill set, maybe, you know, we shift different positions, you know, if, if something gets bought out uh, or people, people, you know, bigger companies will shift positions. How do we teach people how to learn how to learn so that they can continue with what they built if they really want it? I like your analogy uh, very much. It's, I think it's appropriate. Um, some people just can't or don't. Um, and those you just say, well, good luck. Uh, <laughs> but the, the smart ones uh, do recognize they have limitations. Uh, we all have limitations and we are smart when we recognize those and focus on our strengths. And I, when we identify our limitations, be smart enough to go find the resources to fill in 
those shortcomings and those gaps. Um, and I think that's probably what can be taught is the need for you to be open-minded and that learning is a lifelong process. We're learning right up to the end. Never stop learning. And uh, when you think you know it all, uh, that's when you get in trouble. So back in the day, I have one more uh, analogy. I've talked about this a couple of times. Uh, in martial arts back in the day, I heard that once you got a black belt, you then recognize that you now know a lot more, but you really don't know that much because there's so much out there. Right. So they would give you a white belt and they would start you back off and they would do a whole cycle. <laughs> so what's interesting to me is I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so home of Apple computers. I grew up in Cupertino, California, and, and I found a lot of, there were a lot of ideas, but they necessarily weren't solving a problem. And I love to solve problems personally. I mean, I think we've had some amazing humans in this world. Um, you know, like you just posted, I saw something on, on Edison lecturing uh, 1946 um, at Princeton uh, for the civil rights movement with, with a bunch of, um, you know, African-American gentlemen. All and, the students were African-American. Yeah. And that's amazing, right? Like, yeah. like, I mean, it's amazing because I don't know, I'm not going to compare myself to Edison, but I, I see pictures of me in my class and in my Liberty City School, I have 90% African American. And it's amazing for me whether I'm in front of white kids or Asian kids or, you know, whatever race. To me, it's about how do I make as much impact? And I find that a lot of tech companies are, I mean, they're, they're set, entrepreneurs are set to go out there and develop products and make money. And through that, they hire a lot of people. They add a lot of value to communities. But how, what's one piece of advice that you've seen where entrepreneurs could start looking at this like, okay, it's not just about the profit, but it's about the purpose too? Well, that's been a recent change. Uh, I think the past few years that's been evolving certainly as uh, more and more important uh, for both investors as well as entrepreneurs. But, you know, I had, a, uh, I had a boss once who told me nothing happens without a sale. Another way to, to position that is, you know, you can have a great product. You can be solving a major problem. But if you can't sell it and you can't generate enough revenue to keep it going, you're going to fail. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how beneficial it is. So at the end of the day, uh, even if you're one of the people that, even if you're a socialist and you hate profits, uh, the bottom line is you gotta have profits to, to keep moving forward. And profit's not a bad word. And it still needs to be an integral part of your plan. Is, and that's sustainability. Sales, profit, equals sustainability. So uh, despite how good your intentions are and how worthwhile uh, and socially redeeming your product or service is, you still got to be able to uh, pay for it. And uh, so incorporate a business plan in everything you do. I agree. I find I was talking to somebody yesterday 
and I have this opportunity for a cafe right next to one of my schools. And I've been wanting to do this. Two reasons. One, I get to cook the food I want to cook for my kids for, for breakfast, stuff like that, because the food that I've seen offered is um, challenged. <laughs> I mean, I mean, think about this. I mean, could you imagine getting up in the morning, having 60 to 80, maybe 90 grams of, of sugar? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, to I used it. Right. I mean, like right off, right off, right, like right out of the gate. You're like, awesome. I'm going to sugar this up. So my kids come into class sometimes with the tall, whatever drinks that they're drinking. And I'm like, how do you feel about pain for your diabetes? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're buying that, which means that thing right there. I go, do you know what diabetes is? Like, do you want to take insulin shots? And they're like, uh, no, I'm like, Google it then. And they're like, oh, and they start, they're like, will this really cause it? I'm like, if you have that much sugar over time, from what I've seen, doctor, because I don't lie to my kid. There, there's other schools that are like, yes, that's correct. I'm like, go Google it for yourself. Like, if you don't believe. Like, and they will. And they will. And they go. Yeah. I love it, yeah. right? Because yeah. for me, it's about transparency to my kids um, because they're the customers. They're, they, they enjoy showing up. Um then, then they're going to be more passionate because they're going to enjoy what they do every single day. So what do you, I'd love to go like two more questions and, and then, you know, you can, you can talk about whatever, but I'm looking at, um, our community in South Florida and we're very diverse. Uh, it's amazing. We have a lot of central South America, a lot of, uh, we have uh, Haitians here, African-Americans, Cubans, whites. I mean, like it's across the board. Uh, I think the only side we don't have is a lot of Asians per se. Um, but we have, uh, I, I guess we have Indians too. But I, I look at communities that are already built like this with like an Amazon that just came in. Um, I'm looking at companies and places that grow and the school systems are powerful. The school systems, um, like, like for instance, we teach the, the life skills. We teach budgeting. We teach emotional and, and belief intelligence. We teach, you know, stuff like that. And that, that's just our little private school system. But companies that move places, they need to know that they can count on good employees for the future. With our education system changing and going maybe digital because of COVID or whatever else is going on, what what do you think is possible for you know our K twelve college university markets um, and and where do you see those maybe going or I don't know if you've thought about it to be able to support economic development in different cities. You know, you uh, as you were describing South Florida, you were describing Southeast Michigan. Uh, we are extremely diverse. We are one of the most diverse regions in the country. Uh, we've got most of those nationalities you described. We do have a lot of Asians as well. Um, and people uh, from, you know, the Muslims, uh, one of the most, the largest Muslim communities in the country is in, uh, uh, in Detroit, a suburb. Uh, we need to celebrate that diversity and take full advantage of that diversity. And the thing that rings to me, I think uh, it gives us an opportunity, if we're smart about it, our education system will take advantage of that diversity, uh, leverage it, and teach our children the, uh, all the advantages and the good things that diversity bring. 
as an economic developer, where I come from is immigration policy and where that goes, because <clears throat> I'm connecting some dots here. Go back to startups and the job creators. Almost half of all startups in America are started by immigrants. And why would we not want more immigrants? Uh, I don't get it. Um, so I, it, it's all interwoven. It needs to be part of a national strategy, quite frankly. And places like South Florida and Michigan are two locations where we should be taking full advantage of that. I mean, talk about an opportunity. So I love the, um, I mean, I've been around the world and I've been to America. Uh, last year I was in India a couple of times. I was with Dalai Lama, been to Peru, Mexico, Canada, Japan, UK, studied at Oxford, France. And I love each country for something. But America, for what we have, the creation of a dream, of a vision, is absolutely amazing. Now, can we improve? Sure. But I believe that having all the, like, if, you, if I go to one of those countries I just named, you have one type of food. Except for when I went to India. They had pizza on a rooftop in the middle of nowhere. It was the most amazing pizza I've ever had in my life, besides maybe, like, Blaze. And it was all made within like maybe like a three mile radius. So cows were milked. You had the wheat from the wheat farm. Like it, it was like the most natural organic uh, pizza. But what I find is, is the, the diversity in America is absolutely amazing um, because there's so many perspectives and there's so much growth here. So I find that um, our, you know, our, our immigration system needs to add some value. I mean, there needs to be a, an ability to digitally maybe track, to support, to grow. And I love, I would love to see the ability for um, people that come to the country um, are able to get driver's licenses and we're able to support them on getting, you know, because if you don't have a driver's license, how do you get a job, right? Like, I mean, if, you know, it's, it's harder if you don't have the right papers and, and that way we, we can, we can bring in taxes too. So there's a growth model everywhere. Everybody, it's a win-win all the way around. What do you think needs to shift for corporations to want more diversity in the future? And, um, you know, and what, what do we need to do in that world of, of immigration from your thought? I think the shift has started. Uh, it's not anything that has to be new that, uh, oh my goodness, here's a new idea. You need to adopt it. Uh, I think they have been. Um, I think the unfortunate events of the past uh, few weeks have uh, basically maybe raised awareness of those that were still a little ignorant. Uh, but those, uh, but a lot of other people have, were already starting down that path of uh, incorporating uh, diversity, starting at the board level, starting at the executive suite, and then, you know, filters down. Um, and so I think that's already happening. I think it's now accelerating, which is a good thing. Um, and it, it'll filter down eventually K to 12, and we will start. Um, uh, our youth 
uh, will will have a new appreciation and understanding than you and I did at that age. That by the time you become, you know, you're in your 20s, um, you won't have to go through a mindset change of how I react with other people uh, because that will have already been established in their culture of that generation today that's in the K to 12 age group and, and that system. So I think it's already happening. I'm, I'm an optimist. So, so you were, use the word ignorant and I agree with you. I, I, I looked at, and, and I got a, uh, like an alternative approach, but you know, it, it aligns with what you just said. I, I, I agree with you. I look at a lot of time, like some of my kids that were in, um, uh, in LA, uh, it was about eight miles away from, uh, the beach. And I was working with some kids challenged neighborhoods about eight, nine years ago. And one of the, one of the mentors said, Oh yeah, they've never been to the beach. I'm like, what? Like you're eight miles away from the beach. Like, <laughs> so same kind of thing. Uh, I yep. took some of my kids to a really nice restaurant last year uh, at the end of the year it's called oceans two, three, four up in Deerfield. If you ever come down here, it's gorgeous on the water. <clears throat> and I, I had the owner Danielle and I planned to teach them etiquette training three or four knives, forks, spoons, like they're like probably like 12, 10 to 12 utensils. And the food, the sushi, the um, calamari, like the food kept rolling. And you know what's interesting is most of them were like, no, I want french fries and a burger. <laughs> some of them did, didn't ever eat sushi. Some of them didn't eat different things. I think she might have brought out some escargot or something like that. Like some of them didn't, you know, and so what was amazing was what I find is, is um, ignorance is one, one like viewpoint that I've looked at people. The other side is they just don't know what they don't know yet. And what you just, what you, what you said is that the next generation is going to come up understanding a little bit more. And I agree with that. We're looking, I bring, for instance, I bring speakers from judges to police chiefs, to um, mechanics, to CEOs in our schools every week. Because it's perspective from my point of view. How do I give a perspective that they've never even thought about when a judge came in last year, Judge Prescott or Judge Hirsch, two of them came in, and they talked to my kids like they were humans. People are like, you're a judge? By the end, they were like, we don't want to talk to you. But, uh, you know, in the, in the beginning, but by the end, they loved them. They were like, would you come back, please? Because they understood the human. They didn't look at the position or the job. Yep. Um, exactly how, are, right. how are companies today, are, are companies today, because within the corporation, there's, there, there needs to be not only diversity training or implicit bias training or emotional intelligence training. Do you find that companies are doing that um, right now to add value to their current employees? Um, I think they are. Uh, and I think to your point, it's easier and easier for people like yourself to recruit those executives. I think the executive suite uh, people at most corporations now, large and small, are willing to uh, reach out and get into the community, actually go to a school, go to a classroom and talk to students. Uh, they, they understand the value of getting into the community and talking to their future workforce and uh, providing them a perspective. And, and they also benefit uh, almost immediately to the point you just made relative to now I'm a human. 
I'm not a rich CEO, clueless in my own world. No, I'm a real human being, just like you. And I walk the same streets you walk. I go to the same stores and restaurants like you do. And I go to the grocery store also. Uh, and so they humanize. Uh, they become humans. And that's a benefit to the corporation. I love it, Skip. Um, I want to plug your website real quick. And then whatever else, you know, I, I see on your website, uh, anharborusa.org. Uh, yes. Um, I see you guys will have the link down below. You can see real stories, uh, on the story tab, um, from what is actually going on with, uh, you know, with your org and, and it looks like that you have stories from some of the entrepreneurs on here, which is amazing. We try to focus not on our organization, but on the companies we serve. The stories are at the companies. They're not with us. I love we've it. always had that attitude relative to all of our marketing strategy. And uh, I think that's served as well. And it makes people like you aware in Miami, other people in San Francisco, or you mentioned Austin or Boston, and uh, they're aware. Of, now they've got real stories that they can uh, see about what's happening in the Ann Arbor area and in Michigan at large. We and do that intentionally. I love that. And if somebody's looking for a job in Ann Arbor, uh, they can go on here and, and you guys have a job posting. So that's it looks part like of what we do. Yeah, there's some really good jobs on here too. Head of well, talent. Marketing. Talent's yeah. the number one need. I don't care if you're a big company or a startup. Uh, talent is the biggest need of almost all companies right now in America. And it's smart talent, educated talent. Uh, and so we offer that service to companies in our region uh, to help them find the, the skills that they need to grow. I love it. So it, anything else you want to plug, Skip, your blessing. Thank you so much for your time today. What else? What else do you guys have coming up? What's going on? What can people join? Is, you know, tell me a little bit about that. We've covered a lot of territory here, uh, Daniel. I mean, uh, I don't know what's left. Uh, pretty well covered everything that Ann Arbor Spark does and provides. If a company's expanding or growing and uh, looking for a great place to live where the cost of living is reasonable, uh, you know, our state just moved up a bunch of ranks in a uh, recent magazine in terms of uh, favorable places to locate a business. Uh, check us out. Check out Michigan as a, as a great place. I love it here. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't have to live here, uh, but I love it here. So I'm a Michigander. Um, and so thank you for the opportunity, though. Appreciate, yeah. uh, appreciate the time we've had together. Love what you're doing. Love to, I'd love to take you out to lunch sometime. I'm up in, I've been up in Detroit in that area. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you know in Cleveland. I was actually in Detroit last year speaking up there uh, in Cleveland. Um, so love to take you out to lunch when I see you and get to know you a little more. Yeah, and, uh, great. Look forward uh, to it. If you guys want to check him out, uh, he's uh, got uh, the website down below. You can also uh, Google him. Um, Skip, Skip Sims, S-K-I-P-S-I-M-M-S, -S -M -M -S, and uh, see what they're up to. Have an amazing day, Skip. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. You guys, every week, Significance Breed Success, every Tuesday, thank you for listening. If something like this adds value, we want to know, uh, please send it to your friends. If, you know, this, this, today with Skip, I believe this adds a lot of value for where is the future 
uh, for building a company. It, same thing applies for if you're already within a company. Look at the culture. Look at what's going on. Look at how to um, maybe build a different division or product line. Uh, and look outside the box to find the right humans. Um, you can go and you could probably ask Skip what's going on and, and how do you do it better? I love wisdom. So uh, check them out and get a chance. See you guys. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.